I never think of the reader when I'm writing. I don't think of my agent. I don't think of my editor. I feel if I need an audience, I think of the characters. Do you like books? I'm outlining a new writing project. Who wrote this book? Read it. Read it. Sometimes I'd write something. What are you writing? Have you written anything lately? I'm Amanda Stern, and this is Bookable. On today's show, getting a new perspective. Have you heard of the word sonder? Simply put, it's the feeling you get when you realize that everyone, whether they're your closest friends or complete strangers on the other side of the world, everyone is living a life as rich and complex as your own, whether you know it or not. Even writers can overlook the richness of their own characters. It's only when they pull them out of an old story and place them in a new one that Sonder comes. Hi, Amanda. How's your puppy? (laughs) Well, our guest today... She sends her best. She's done just that. And you and your dog were on. (gasps) (laughs) Time for an introduction. I'm Ursula Hege, and I'm the author of The Patron Saint of Pregnant Girls. Ursula Hege! The Patron Saint of Pregnant Girls is set in 1878 on an island off the coast of northern Germany. That summer, the circus comes to town, but the delight of the island's people is cut short when a hundred-year wave claims the life of three young children. What's really interesting is the way Ursula revisits a story she's already told. This time, from a new perspective. There is a previous book called uh, Children and Fire. The book was very much about the life of the midwife whose husband leaves her a week after his children, their children drown. And I've always wondered what, what happened to him. So for a while, I was thinking about him a lot, and then I realized I needed to write his book. So it started off for me with color, that is his name, and he works with the circus. And even as a boy, he had always dreamed of running away with the circus. And he and his friends, they would just romanticize the circus and the circus work. And out of that then, develop the relationships with with the townspeople. They come there, the circus comes there once a year in August. And they're there, I realized, when the children drown. Now, in the previous book, it is like 25 years after the children drown. And and the drown is told as a flashback. But now it is in the present. And it's really a very different angle of vision. From the patron saint of pregnant girls, page 201. Wilhelm keeps tugging, and what feels clear to Kulla is this. The boy does not fit into the world he and Lutta inhabit with their older children. He, who has never slapped a child, wants to demolish the boy, and in the waning of his flesh and spirit, get back his other three. His father feels that Wilhelm cost him the other three. Wilhelm, who always needs too much, who needs too much of his mother. And he imagines if she had held the hands of the other children, you know, 
um, two on one side, one on the other. But with Wilhelm in her arms, that was impossible. And he feels Wilhelm's survival is based on the loss of the others. Um, for Lotte, it is, um, I would not call it resentment. I would call it, um, she, she totally collapses. She is not able to take care of her son. She wants to, but um, her milk goes dry. Um, she She's a little bit afraid of um, having the responsibility for anyone else who is alive. And that's where mm. her turning from Wilhelm, uh, that that's the motivation. She feels... She failed her children, but she doesn't have this um, this sense that if only she had held onto the other ones. She doesn't have the sense that Wilhelm cost her the other three children, which her husband does. And yet, uh, Carla doesn't take any responsibility. He doesn't have, hold himself accountable in any way. It's all on her. Well, Carla is very guilty. Um because he, um, since he was a boy, he has wanted to run away with the circus. And now he has the chance to do that. And he feels mm. guilty for having wanted this. And he feels this, having wanted the circus, um, uh, that is his guilt in this. He doesn't mm. put himself there in terms of, if only I'd been there. Um, he works for the circus, so he was working while this happened. Um, a lot of the men on Nochtrand work for the, for the circus that one week, and it's their time of glamour and excitement. And so he was not physically there when Lotta and the children were playing on the tidal flats. Um, and the wave, um, the kind of wave that only comes once in a hundred years swept them all away. Um, the children away, Lotte and Wilhelm, get caught into it, but they manage to get out. Mm -hmm. Feels deeply, deeply guilty for, for his wishes of what he had wanted as a boy. From the patron saint of pregnant girls, page 39. Sister Franziska arranges for two other girls to nurse Wilhelm, and he fights the unfamiliar smells and breasts. Tilly feels vindicated when Sister Franziska returns him to her. He nuzzles his face into the dip between Tilly's neck and shoulder, but she's careful not to show how much she loves him because Sister will pry him off gently and send Tilly to help with bigger children, the four and five-year-olds. After Carla leaves, um, Tilly comes into that family. And through Tilly, um, the sisters at the St. Margaret house, you know, Tilly is able to nurse Wilhelm. T Tilly's child was born just the day before. And that's why the nuns brought her from the St. Margaret home, um, so that she becomes a wet nurse to Wilhelm. And she is terrified for what his nursing evokes in her, the connection to the little girl who was taken from her and adopted by a couple. Um, so Wilhelm in her unleashes a lot of that longing. 
um, Lotte likes to think, in color too, they remember how <laughs> the different personalities of the children were visible so early by the way they nursed. Um, their oldest one, um, their center one, the youngest of the dead children. So there is Hannelore, who um, who was determined. She um, she just sort of went to it. <laughs> she grabbed the nipple and she went to it. And um, she also nursed Wilhelm for um, eight months before his siblings died. But they had a different approach to her body and taking in her breast. And Carla observed that too. And he's been uh, he's been a wonderful father until he runs away. Um, he um, he has seen Lotte with the children. He has watched her. He has. Um, he has been part of that, and um, that's why it's so different when uh, he comes back periodically and he cannot bear seeing Wilhelm because it brings back the loss of his others. But this whole thing with body, I um, pretty much maybe, I, I do between 50 and 100 revision, okay? And um, I was probably within the last 10 revisions when I observed something at a swimming pool where I go. Um, there was an Asian woman, very, very pregnant, and uh, she went carefully into the water and her husband was right behind her and he had his hands on her hips guiding her. And for me, that was like, uh, like lightning. So, um, I used that moment and went further with it. And I start the book with, um, um, do you want me to read that? It's about half a page. I would love it. Okay. So it's the first paragraph. Um, and that, that is very, very new. Chapter one, a hundred year wave. With each pregnancy, Lotte and the toy maker introduced their unborn to the sea. Lotte with her belly taut, color with his hands on her hips as he guides her in to the peak of her belly. Eyes shut with bliss, with reverie. Lotte feels her baby swim, the wall of her body separating it from the Nordsee. First Hannelore, then Martin, then Berbel. During her fourth pregnancy, Lotte gets playful and dives into a handstand, surprises herself and the toy maker, who laughs aloud, faced with her feet wiggling above the surface of the sea. But as he reaches down to steady her, one hand on her belly, the other on her buttocks, he's the one who needs steadying, because Lotte shoots up, spews water at him, clamps her legs around his middle tilts herself to him. And it goes from there into the into the hundred year wave and into a collective voice of of the town. Um, but what I really saw when I saw the young couple at the swimming pool, I saw the possibility for showing the bliss in their lives, mm. showing their uh, sexual relationship. They are uh, they're laughing together. Um, they're touching each other. And it's such a an image that for me um, 
was there throughout the book. And that's what I wanted for it to be because there are some dark passages in the book and I can always go back to that and know it was like that at one time. Time for a short break. When we come back, it's time to play pretend. Stick around. I'm Amanda Stern, here with Ursula Heggie, author of The Patron Saint of Pregnant Girls. Your, your characters, they suffer losses that make others uncomfortable, like losing a child or three, or they exist in situations that are taboo, like underage pregnant girls. Why do you think that we're so afraid to talk openly about the things that happen to us? Um... This reminds me of what one of my readers once said. She said, you write about things most of us don't talk about or don't want to talk about. And I thought it's it's so very true because I am, um, I am drawn to that. I'm also drawn to bliss. And ideally, um, I like to write along that thin, thin edge where... Um, where loss and bliss happen at the same time. And um, it's, um, I, when I see it in someone else's work, I really like it. And I, I'm really glad when I can tap into it because I think the two are really connected. And this thing of, um, writing about what others don't want to talk about or even think about um, is how it often starts for me. No, I don't want to think of the children drowning and therefore I have to write about them. So from the beginning, um, there is a tension between me and the material that really moves me forward. Without the tension, um, I don't think I would I would write those particular uh, or this particular book if I cannot get at that. So let me give you another example. So for me as a German-born woman, um, it was terrifying to write about the Holocaust. And when I was writing uh, Stones from the River, um, which comes, a lot of it comes through the character Trudy Montag, um, I was terrified to write the book. I did more research than I ever have done. I wished many times I could stop the book, um, but I also knew I had to write it. Oh, I was I was horrified by what I found out. I um, I got to know the characters very, very deeply. The characters I loved and the characters I um, that frightened me. But even with a character who frightens me, um, like Helmut, um, he's a young um, Nazi. He betrays his mother and he turns her in. And 
I decided to do that scene from his point of view, or at least within his awareness. And that was terrible to write, but I also knew I had to. So it's um, becoming, I need to become that character in order to understand him. I need to become Trudy in order to understand her. And when I'm writing about her, I'm her height, she's a dwarf. I know her fears, I know her hate. Um, and it's like that with every character. From the patron saint of pregnant girls, page 226. You map out your lives with your children. Immerse yourselves in preparations that become as immediate as your lives in your farmhouse on the land side of the dike. And though you cannot reach your three oldest, not yet, not yet, you can keep your love for them tucked away, your worries too, until you see them again. And you feel calm, ready for the first high tide after the Schwarze Sonne when you'll row out and bring them home. Rungholt has entered your souls, more vibrant now its colors, more defined its structures, while the familiar landscape of Nordstrom is blurring. So, Alata and Kala are bonded together through their children. And when the children are gone, Kala leaves. But when he returns, he and Lata bond over the children and the possibility that there's an alternate reality in which they're alive. There's a lot of pretending in the book, and it's the adults who are most often the pretenders. And I was wondering if we could talk about this duality. Okay. Um, Lotte, at first, doesn't want color back. She has not forgiven him. But gradually, they become closer again. Um, they have sex. They, um, they talk. And she tells him something that she has discovered. At first, it's her secret alone. But she is certain that the other children are alive. And at first, he says, no, they can't be. They drowned. And she brings him around. First, um, first he goes along with it. Because when she talks about the children, she's open to him, the heart in her body. And um, oh, he, he wants their closeness. He wants the sex. He wants um, her love, if he can have it. And there is this little dance around that where she knows he doesn't quite believe and where he says he wants to believe. And then he actually, for a very short while, pretends to believe. He asks questions. Mm -hmm. Then there is a moment where he knows it's true. He knows in his body, in his brain, in his heart, it's true. And it's very exciting for the two of them together. And um, they start to make a plan to get their children back. And it's um, really their way of healing, their way of healing one another, the way of healing their family, even though, you know, they don't know that. It's, it's very, very subtle. But I see that happening. And as they talk more and more, and as they make plans and um, they research 
uh, a sunken island called Wunghold, which is off the coast of Nordstrand. And it's an island that actually existed and that hundreds of years ago sank. And there are a lot of legends around it, but there's also plenty of research by now that, yes, the island did exist. And they they know, Lotte knows, Lotte feels in her bones that that's where her children are. And they spin the story of the children. They, they want more and more details. And, for example, color can get Lotte out of her sadness by saying, okay, they're away by now. They're awake by now. Uh, what do you think they're eating for breakfast? Very ordinary things. And she starts answering. And they have the story, this, this, this reality. It's not a fantasy. It's a, it's a different reality of their children being alive. Then they figure out, but who takes care of them? That's what Color asks. And Lada says, um, uh, a school teacher and her husband. And then she, uh, after a while, she says, um, their own children left. Uh, and they were very glad when their own children grew up and left. And they were very glad um, when they found our children. And it goes on and on and on from there. What kind of a playground? What do they do? So the life of the children, the children become more and more part of the book again. And, um, oh, the smells, the way they smelled. Uh that she is each child smelled differently. She could uh, identify them by the way they smelled. Um, the reality of having these children in their lives um, heals them in many ways. And um, they set out. I don't even know if I want to say that for your interview. Let me know. They set out to find the children. And that's where that's as much as you should say. Yeah. I think. Yeah. They out to find their children and bring them back home. So good. I want to add one thing to um, imagining the island, imagining the children. Magical realism is part of most of my writing. You know, love to think of what Gabriel Garcia said when he was asked by academics, you know, what is magical realism? And he said, but it's all real. Mm. That's what it is for me. That's what the island with the children, it's real. It's real. Ursula Heggie, author of The Patron Saint of Pregnant Girls. It's published by Flatiron Books and is available August 18th. Bookable is a production of Loud Tree Media. I'm your host, Amanda Stern, five feet tall and feeling thunderful. We're produced by me, Bo Friedlander, and Andrew Dunn, who also mixed and sound designed the show. Bo is Loudtree's editor-in-chief. Find us on the web at bookablepod.com. And please subscribe and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. That's one of the best ways for other listeners to find Bookable. And if there's a short incredible dancing author in Ursula's next book. You'll know where she got that inspiration. I understand that we danced together at Redloaf. We did. We did. <laughs> it was, I think, 
The last night, the big barn dance. I love that barn dance. I've been there many times, yeah. And everyone dances together. The atmosphere is unlike anything else. This is Bookable. 